Welcome to the Nations Church Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. I'm so glad that our church has a great future. How many of you genuinely believe with me that our church's best days are actually ahead of her and not behind her? Amen. Come on, we haven't peaked yet. There's so much more to do, so, so many other cities and nations to be at, and I'm going to entrust what we have into the next generation. Amen. Let's get into the Word of God. Give Warren a big hand. Thank you so much. Warren, good man. Mighty man. Last week, I preached a message called The Generational Church. How many of you were here for that? Yeah, four of you. If you, if you weren't here, please look at our, our YouTube channel and um, just catch up with that. What I did last week was simply try to awaken in you the urgency of intentionally sowing into the future generations, particularly into the encounter of the future generations. The Bible uses generational language. We talked about, you know, we segued out of Pentecost Sunday and how out of the book of Acts, the promise of the Holy Spirit was that there'll be an outpouring, not just for that generation, but for the sons and daughters also. And so as we begin to heed generational language, today we want to talk to you on Building Our Future Sunday on this thought, the significance of today. How many of you know today is significant? Not building a future Sunday necessarily, but today. Every today that you get to live is actually significant. I want to suggest that to you today because every day becomes a today and tomorrow, today will become yesterday. That's how time works. And unless we understand the significance of today, what we have in our hands right now in the present we will never steward it well enough in order to think that whatever we decide today will have profound impacts on tomorrow. None of us can go back in time. How many of you wish you could? I sometimes wish I could go back in time to the time where I had hair because it was fun back then. (laughs) But none of us can go back in time. None of us. You can live with regret all you want, but you cannot turn back the hands of time to go back and relive 2015 or or, or 2001 or 1978. How many of you remember 1978? Yeah, well, it's the young crowd. Wow, you don't remember 1978? Carla McHugh remembers 1978. Or whatever year you can't go back in time. What you do have is today. Come on, are you out there? What you do have is today, and that will affect tomorrow. I'm turning 48 this year, and I've lived a relatively long time. This is what I've learned. There's not been a single day in my life where I've woken up regretting a good decision that I made the night before. Never once. I never once woke up on any given morning of my life going, oh, gee, I, I, I just wish I didn't iron my shirt last night. What a waste of time. I've always woken up going, yes, thank God. I ironed my shirt, got myself sorted, set myself up for the day. Make sense to you? We have, a, we have opportunities today to understand the significance and observe what today actually means. The Bible teaches us the significance of today all the time. When I think about Characters in the Bible that have always observed the significance of the moment and its profound impact on the decisions of the day and how that would affect the days to come. I think of someone like King David. 1 Chronicles chapter 22 accounts for the end of King David's life. And if you understand the context of King David, you've got to remember where he's come from. When we were first introduced to David out of the book of 1 Samuel 16, 17, those sort of chapters, Jewish scholars and historians generally believed that there were some question marks around David's parental history. They find it odd that such a central character in the Old Testament does not have his mother identified in Scripture, only his father Jesse. And they also find it strange of the way that his brothers and his father treated him. Now, you have to have some kind of deep-seated underlying dysfunction happening 
to resent a family member the way Jesse and his other sons despised David. When Samuel arrived at the house of Jesse, they didn't even acknowledge his existence. In fact, some historians actually say that the way that they, they made David work, which is to be in the front line of shepherding and to make him shepherd in pastures where bears and wolves and lions existed, they were secretly hoping and wishing that David would die shepherding the father's sheep. Now that is a horrendous family lineage. If you think about David's whole account of his own life, there is something very strange and not normal about the way that David grew up. There was such great resentment. There was such great pain because his father Jesse handed him nothing more than a legacy of pain. If you're here today on a day like building our future, maybe the sentiment of your heart is, well, no one set me up, PK. If you don't know my family history, no one did anything for me. I had to scrap, scrounge, fight for everything that I've got now. Everything that I have now, I've made for myself. So why should I worry about future generations when past generations didn't, have, didn't make any concern for me, I want to suggest to you today that you have a decision to make today that could profoundly, if you understood the significance of today, you too could absolutely change the course of your history and break some cycles of bad legacy in your life. Come on, any resounding amen from somebody. Jesse handed David nothing but a legacy of pain, but David in his day and his hour decided, I'm not gonna impute the same kind of shame that was handed to me by my father onto my own son Solomon. David made a decision in his day that he was going to treat Solomon completely differently. His legacy would be different towards Solomon than the legacy that his own father, Jesse, handed to him. Have you ever seen the story of Jesse, David, and Solomon in the context of a generational conversation? Well, let's have a look at what David says. If you think about what Jesse said about David, it's like when Samuel asked, do you have any other sons? Ah, well, um... Oh, well, yeah, yeah, well, we got kind of, I got kind of like another son, but you know, um, the fact that David's mother was not mentioned in the Bible, it's highly likely that Jesse had some explaining to do. There was an illegitimacy, maybe, a question mark. Some historians aren't sure the full reasons why, but it is really the only conclusion you come to for one son to cause that much shame on a father and the rest of his... Come on, am I speaking to somebody today? So that was the conversation of David's upbringing. And yet when you hear now at the end of David's life, what he says about his own son Solomon, you can see David making a decision on his today to change and break whatever cycle has been imputed on him for the future generation. He says, now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent. This is David's heart. Famous and glorious throughout all countries, I will now make preparation for it. He's talking about the future. So David made abundant preparations before his death. Jump down to verse 17. David also now commanded all the leaders of Israel to help Solomon, his son, saying, is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not given you rest on every side? For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Now set your heart and soul to seek the Lord your God. Therefore arise and build, say arise and build, the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy articles of God into the house that is to be built for the name 
of the Lord. I love these conversations in the Old Testament because you can almost see the heart of God, what He's trying to convey. If you were to zoom out, you can actually see the generational conversation. At David's old age, we would have all been understanding of David if he was to say, well, I've lived a long life. I've won many battles, paid for it with my own scars and with, even with my own blood and my own wounds. I've amassed enormous wealth from all the loot of every battle that I've won. My father, Jesse, handed me nothing. Now I've got lots. Now when I'm old, I'm gonna buy a bougie caravan, pile me eight wives into the caravan and travel all around Israel sightseeing to the end of my days. Why you didn't wanna pile eight wives into the one caravan? I would never know, but you know, each to his own. He had eight wives. You'd never win an argument the whole holidays having eight wives. But, you know. But David decided in his day that he was going to do something different to what Jesse did to him. You have to understand what was going on here. There was a, a, a larger conversation that was going on. Up until then, all that the, the presence of God was confined to was a temporary dwelling. It was a movable ark. David's heart was that there was be permanency for where the people of God could, I, could come together corporately and worship. You follow me so far? It was in his heart to build God a permanent place of worship. Only God said, it's not gonna be you, it's gonna be the next generation. So David had a decision to make. Do I spend it all now on myself because I'm self-made or do I make a decision to set up the next generation. You gotta understand, David, it was highly likely that his own existence brought shame to his father, Jesse, because there was question marks around the legitimacy of Jesse's relationship with David's mother. But David decided to have a completely different conversation. He gathers all of the nation in front of him, all of the leaders and all of his captains and all of the elders, and he affirms the next generation, Solomon. Who was Solomon? Bathsheba's son. You catching this? Who was Solomon? Bathsheba's son. If you don't know Bible history, who was Bathsheba? The same woman that David had an affair with. Come on, you follow me so far? David refused in the significance of the day to impute the kind of shame that was imputed on him by a previous generation, he decided, I'm not gonna be ashamed of my son Solomon. And he stands Solomon up and says, this is my son, though he's young and inexperienced, I am gonna make abundant preparation. I'm gonna sow all of my riches and my wealth to ensure that he gets to fulfill the building of the place of worship. Come on, are you out there? And he did it in front of all of his captains. All of his captains would have been the same old guys that have fought alongside Uriah. Who was Uriah? Bathsheba's husband, to which David murdered. Come on, are you following me so far? They would have all said, I know who Solomon is. He's the product of your affair, David. And yet here is David refusing to impute the kind of shame that was imputed on him. Come on, are you following me so far? We get to make decisions today that say that the pain of our past does not need to shape our decisions of today. I don't know where you're at right now in life. We all have differing past, but we've got a shared today and a shared future. It's time for us to stand today and say, hey, regardless of all the different legacies, you might have a fantastic upbringing, a fantastic legacy. It doesn't matter. We get to make a decision today to set the next generation up for all that God has in store for them today. And we're going to get a resounding amen from you, church. We get to live beyond ourselves. Last week I shared 
on the account of Hezekiah. And I talked about how Hezekiah was a good king in the 29 years that he led or he ruled um, throughout Judah's history. And it was 29 years of godly leadership where he brought much reform. But then I also contrasted how uh, towards the end of 2 Kings 19 and 20, particularly we see at the end of Hezekiah's life, how the next generation, his son Manasseh, had, had completely turned on God and there were great abominations that he'd introduced the worship of Baal into the places of worship, the temple, the place of worship where that Hezekiah himself had cleansed and introduced Levitical worship. And if you read 2 Kings chapter 20, you'll see that at a point in Hezekiah's life towards, towards what was close to be, meant to be the end of his life, Hezekiah took ill. He was ill to the point of death. And when he was ill to the point of death, the prophet Isaiah ministers to Hezekiah and the Lord speaks to Hezekiah through Isaiah to say, I'm going to extend your life for another 15 years. Now imagine getting a second shot or a second chance at life. He's close to the point of death, and yet the Lord says, I'm going to extend your life for another 15 years. Imagine being given an opportunity to steward an extra 15 years. Very few people get told when their last day is, but Hezekiah gets told, I'm going to give you another 15 years. You think you'd be doing something good with the next 15 years. Hezekiah, after 29 years of, of reform, he, he, he had 15 years within that period to do something good, to sow into the next generation, to kind of to build something that future generations could inherit. He could have taken the next 15 years to continue to take more ground for his nation. He should have used those 15 years to protect his nation from the attacks of the enemy. He should have used those, those 15 years to extend God's kingdom here on the earth. Instead, in the 15 years, Hezekiah decided that diplomacy and literally politically jumping into bed with the enemy was a better option than to sow into the next generation. As you begin to read and you wonder why Manasseh turned out the way that he did, the keys are found in the conversation that Hezekiah has with God in the 15 years before he dies. It says here, at that time, see what Hezekiah did was that he invited Babylon, the enemy of God's people, into his courts. He invited what was anti-God into a place of intimacy with all that he was entrusted with. Pick up the story, 2 Kings 20, verse 12. At that time, Barodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, the king of Babylon, sent letters and a present or a gift to Hezekiah. For he'd heard that Hezekiah had been sick. Hezekiah was attentive to them. So it was like a Trojan horse. The king of Babylon wanted in with Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was attentive to them and showed them all the house of his treasures, the silver and gold, the spices and precious ointments. This is show and tell. What Hezekiah did, he showed his enemy, all his armory. You never play your hand to the enemy. He showed his enemy all his armory, all that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. He opened it all up to them. Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, what did these men say? And from, when, from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, they come from a far country, from Babylon. 2 Kings 20 verse 15. And he said, what have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. This is what Isaiah said to Hezekiah. Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming 
when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried away to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your son's generational language. Right? Take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and there shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now, you would have thought that Hezekiah being a godly man would have to hold up. Not on my watch will that happen. Hezekiah's response to Isaiah was altogether fascinating and shocking because this is what he said. The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. Here's the rationale. For Hezekiah said, will there not be peace and truth at least in my days? In other words, hold, hold, hold up. I know you're, you're, you're being all alarmist, Isaiah, prophesying how the next generation are going to come under attack. But, but as long as my generation is good, I'm good. I really, I mean, do you really want me to kick up a stink with Babylon? They're pretty powerful. Surely it's better diplomacy to invite them into our world and embrace them than it is to fight them. And he says, well, as long as there's peace, we can settle. As long as we've done the reforms that we needed to do, we're good. As long as we did some good things in our day, we're fine. The Hezekiah generation did not observe the significance of today. Come on, am I speaking to a church? And the sense that I get as a prophetic word today is that Nations Church has not been called to be the Hezekiah generation. Come on, are you out there? We're called to be the David generation. This is who God has called us to be. Manasseh, his son, was so ungodly that Babylon ended up capturing him and on and on he goes. We see the impacts of generations not observing the significance of the day or the ones that did. Psalm 78 compares and contrasts two different tribes, the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Ephraim. This is what the psalmist writes about the tribe of Judah. Listen to the way the tribe of Judah thought in the way that it handled a steward at the generation. Psalm 78 verse 1 says this, O my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I'm saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we've heard and known, stories our ancestors handed to us. Verse 4, we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell, not we may, we might, or if things are easy, we can, we will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about His power and His mighty wonders. It was an oral tradition, right? So you can see the generational heart. Verse 5, for He issued His laws to Jacob. He gave His instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. Catch this. So the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they in turn will teach their own children. The world wants an entire generation aborted, but the kingdom of God is always banked on a church that's thought generationally. Can you hear the conviction? Make no mistake. Recognize the significance of today. Contending for the generations to come, where we're being about the generations, that's one of our cultures, that's always going to cost us. But if you're part of Nations Church, you need to know that we will never stop doing this. For as long as we're your leaders, we'll never stop doing this. Leaving a legacy is not optional here at Nations Church. Because leaving a legacy was not optional when the church first started. Thank God for that. 
So if you're new to Nations Church and you're new to the story of who we are, maybe you've come from a faith tradition that did not have a revelation of generational thinking. Maybe you've come from a faith paradigm where Christianity is about praying every night, asking God to bless you, and then that's it. Maybe you've come from that framework. I want to encourage you to take a zoom out and understand that throughout Scripture, God's conversation to us has always been, this is not just about you has always been think beyond yourself. The Bible has always given us cautionary notes through the life of Hezekiah, through the life of, 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 of just different people, uh, and also given us you know, encouraging notes through the life of people like David, through the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that God is a God of the generations. Today is significant to us because we get to make choices to sacrifice that will bless our future. Just like people that have gone before us have made sacrifices to bless our present. Come on, you guys need to think about that for a moment, right? Legacy is not something that many churches teach nor disciple their people on because it's not popular and it's challenging. But I'm happy to tell you today that at Nations Church, we're going to be a generational legacy-leaving church for as long as you're a part of this church. For as long as you're a part of this church, I promise you that I will walk with you to build the future of those that are in Sprouts, Rockets, Jump, Junior High, Youth, NYA. The reason why so many churches don't do this is because legacy is always sacrificial and it's not popular. Believe me, I would so much rather preach fluffy sermons to you where you just come, complain about the parking, complain about the coffee, spill some food on the carpet and then go home. It'll just be awesome for all of us. It'll be easy for me, much easier for you. But I don't want to be the kind of leader that leaves you without the Word of God. I want, to, I want to awaken you something that is far more eternal than just, come on, just like the psalmist in Psalm 78 talked to us about the tribe of Judah that thought about and invested in generations not yet born. As we keep reading Psalm 78, the psalmist begins to write about the tribe of Ephraim, a different tribe, and it says this about the tribe of Ephraim, verse 9, the warriors of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned their backs and fled On the day of battle, they did not keep God's covenant. They refused to live by his instructions. They forgot what he had done, the great wonders he had shown them, the miracles he did for their ancestors on the plain of Zoan, in the land of Egypt, and on and on it goes. And they then did not pass on what was already given to them because on the day of battle, they were just as armed as the tribe of Judah, but they turned their backs because it was all too hard. Invited the enemies to come right in and take the next generation. Today is significant because we have an opportunity to be the generation that is like the tribe of Judah, to be the generation that is like the tribe of David. We don't want to be the Hezekiah generation that having given 15 years to do something significant, he decided, well, Isaiah, that's a good prophecy, you know, like so long as it's good for us, the next generation, they can take care of themselves. Today is significant because giving to building our future is a spiritual act. Over the years, people have accused me, oh, PK, you're just being sensationalist. You're just raising money for buildings. I want to say this to you, what David did, all of the silver, the gold, the bronze, the precious stones, the artisans, the craftsmen, what he gathered was an incredibly spiritual moment for him. It was a natural element. His life in, 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 in tangible form being expressed, sown into the next generation. What we're doing here, you're sitting in a miracle. You're sitting in a legacy. I know when you look, you see a building, but you need to start to understand that what you're sitting in is actually a miracle that someone else has sown in. 
I'm not concerned about diplomacy. I'm not concerned about embracing the world. I just want to build the future so that the next generation, my sons and daughters, will prophesy. When you think about what we're doing, everything that we're doing today sets up what the next generation will inherit. You might be asking, so what? What is the future that we're building? Well, I want to say this to you, Myri. What you're experiencing right now is not all that there is. God has so much more. I want to stir in your heart to think beyond your own comfort. Getting this building was not the arrival point. It was the beginning point. The greatest tragedy for any church is to feel that they've arrived and there is nothing more of the Great Commission to fulfill. We are not there yet. In fact, we've only just begun. The greatest tragedy for any church is to turn their backs on the day of battle like the Ephraimites and become unwilling to pay the price for the future. They got into the promised land. It was all sweet. Our long-term future is this. This is what we're sowing into. Permanent facilities for campuses in cities and nations we are not yet in for people we have not yet met. Come on, if that excites you, give God a big shout of praise. That's our future. This is not a Ken Lee vision. This is actually a God vision. It should be the mandate of every church. This was the, what, what Apostle Paul lived and breathed. It was, it was in his heart. Churches being established is our only hope for the Christian faith to be real in the next generation because a secularized world wants churches to close down. A secularized world wants churches to get old. A secularized world just wants churches to bump in, bump out, hire a building every now and then, write a bit of a rental agreement, try and survive week to week. Not our church in Jesus' name. Right? And you know what? It's frightening how many Christians just don't care. They just don't care about the future. It's the Hezekiah mentality. It's the Ephraimite mindset. It takes no courage nor faith to believe for great things for yourself. No courage nor faith. You already know you've got a great God. You already know He's going to bless you. Didn't God say, you know the leaves of the field? I look after them. What do you think? That I'm not going to look after you? It takes no faith. It takes great faith and courage to believe that God is going to do something through you for the next generations. It takes an eye of faith to be able to see. I want to remind you today that you are sitting in a miracle. In 2013, our church was only over nine years old. And we were still in an old recreational center we had for nine years. And um, it was actually kind of two halves. The first five years was in the Melville Civic Center. And then the second half of that nine, ten years we were... Uh, at the Blue Gum Recreation Center. And by about 2013, we'd taken up nine years' worth of building our future offerings. And we'd along the way had purchased some midweek hubs and some office space. But come 2013, there was an opportunity for this campus to move into number 10 Hayden Court. How many of you go back to number 10 Hayden Court days? Yep, yep, a few of you. Number 10, Hayden Court um, did us for a little season, a, a window of time. Clara Lorkin went to great pains to remind me that she, I used to preach during rainy days and droplets of rain used to come down from the roof in front of my face while I preached. And they used to have buckets out. How many of you remember those days? Yeah, buckets out in the, in the auditorium. But God bless Hayden Court because it was a great time for us. We jumped at an opportunity to lease that building because the, the Homeswares warehouse that was in number 10 Hayden Court had vacated and we'd already bought the building next to it as a midweek hub. And so we leased it for a year. It was in that year that my brother who was on our board said to me, 
you should go and ask the owner of number 10 Hayden Court if he would be happy to sell it. Now, it was obviously you know, not, the best, not, not, not the best way to do it because if, if you were to ask someone to sell something to you, they've got the upper hand. But we knew that God was in it and God worked miraculous things. And so I went at the time in 2014 to have a chat with the owners of number 10 Hayden Court with our business manager at the time, but a man by the name of Mike. He's not here anymore, but Mike was a big part of our history. And as we went to begin, we met with the owners of number 10 Hayden Court. As we were chatting, he talked the whole time to Mike thinking, that Mike was the pastor and I was the accountant. He wasn't racially profiling me at all, I'm just saying. I smiled and nodded through most of that until Mike caught on that, oh, no, I'm not the pastor, he's the pastor. And it was in that that I just began to share the vision for our church and I said to him, would you please, we would love to buy this building off you. Uh, you know, we, we already, he said, no, we don't, we're not selling it. It's part of our family trust. It's, it's yielding income for our family and it's a long-term investment for us. And as I began to, to just, just state my case much more towards the end of that meeting, he said, look, I, I didn't even know why you were here, but you know, if you're so keen to buy, why don't you put an offer down and we'll, we'll consider it. So we went back and we, through our research, we, we put, we put the, a fair price of that building to be around $2.6 million. At the time, we had $2.1 million in the bank in cash. We were ready to buy something, or we needed permanency, we were leasing, etc. And so there we were, you know, we had $2.1 million in cash, and we were short by about half a million dollars. We need to apply for a loan, and so we did, and so we sent in an offer subject to approval of a loan and getting finance. We thought we were in with a good chance, having quite a lot of equity, so on and so forth. At the same time that we lodged that offer, it was December 2014, uh, God had already impressed on our heart to plant a church in Phnom Penh. We've been sowing in Phnom Penh f- uh, since 2007, so it was seven years. And uh, it was a real lesson for me in leadership because every time, every, every time when it comes to, to lead, leading church, you're faced with, do, 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 you, do you spend money on yourself or, or do you keep extending the kingdom of God? Right? And so here I was in attention because fully knowing that if we planned a church in Phnom Penh, it was a $200,000 investment for us. Our church was only quite small at the time. And uh, well, what do we do? Do we, do we stretch and, and, and reach the nations like we feel it's, it's a mandate on our, on our church name? Or, 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 or do we invest and, and do this? And, or, or can we do both? Anyhow, when I was in Phnom Penh, we went to scope out the possibilities of that. Ken Fletcher was actually with me. Um, I, 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 like I said before, our church was quite small at the time compared to what it is now. And as we landed into KLIA Airport, obviously having no data on the plane, I turned my phone on and, and put it on the KLIA Wi-Fi, and bing, I received a text message from Mike, who was obviously back in Perth, and uh, he said, you wouldn't believe what happened. Someone walked into my office today and handed me this, and he snapshotted a photograph of a check. It was in December, wasn't building a future season, but he, he photographed a photo of a check Five zero zero comma zero zero zero. Now I've been like Ken. Ken and I, we were actually sitting outside Gloria Jeans, I think. Now you know, after a long flight, you think your contact lens is a little bit slippery. So I kind of moved my contact lens around just in case I couldn't see the the, the dot properly. Maybe it was like five thousand dollars. No, it was half a million dollars. And this was the story. Now when we when we lodged the offer, no one knew except the board because you just don't announce these things when you're in negotiation. Makes sense to you. Right? This person had no idea. This, the story was that this person was just a volunteer in the church, said, oh man, I stayed up all night last night and I felt like God spoke to me and I don't know why I'm here, but I think God wants me to give this. And he pushed the check towards Mike, not even looking at the check, emotionally disconnecting already. And we were able to buy the building from a man that didn't want to sell it in cash. And that was our story 
in 2014. Now, when you think about the sacrificial giving of the many, there have also been sacrificial giving of the few that have given way above and beyond, and that became our home in Myri campus for seven years. In 2019, our Myri campus was bursting at the seams. We were running four services. How many remember those days? How many remember those four services? Yep, liars, you don't remember four services. You only came to one. You remember your 9 a.m. That's what you remember your 11 a.m. The staff remember the four services. But our campus grew from 800 to about 1,300 on a Sunday with eight car bays. Think about that the next time you complain about Playle Street's car park. Good preaching, PK, good preaching. This is great therapy for me, just preaching this message. While in that period, we established Belmont campus, we established the Port Kennedy campus, we paid off buildings, we bought buildings along the way. We tried to farm off some people to thin Myrie out a little. And Myrie kept growing through those years. Kept growing. Now, we were getting frustrated at the lack of car park and the lack of capacity. It was not sustainable. My staff were hating me, having to run four services, but you know, like we, we need to be safe, we need to create room for people. In September 2019, Corey Turner comes and he prophesies, stands on the stage at our Hayden Court campus and said, within six months, there's going to be property that's going to be released for this campus to buy. She laughed, I laughed, we let it pass through to the keeper that day. <laughs> Prophets missed it this time. That was September 2019. In November 2019, I wrote a message called Take Another Look. It was the launch of our Christmas campaign. It was at 5 p.m. on a Friday. I printed my sermon like every good boy does. So it doesn't affect your Saturday with your wife. I printed it at the end of a Friday. Boy, our business manager now, comes up to me at the photocopier and says, PK, 8 Playle Street has come on the market again. Do you want to take another look? He had no idea I'd just written a sermon called Take Another Look. The story is that in 2012, we had looked at this site as a potential for permanency. Back when we were at Blue Gum Community Centre, we had looked at this block of land. I had lunch with the owner. The owner said, I want nothing less than $8.2 million for this. I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I hope you enjoy your chicken salad because <laughs> that's all I'm paying for. <laughs> we walked away from it. God had an interim step. We would have never experienced a half a million dollar miracle and buying head and calling cash had we jumped the process, right? Cut a long story short, that Saturday after the Friday in 2019 in November, we came and took another look at 8 Playle Street. We sat in the, board, in the boardroom, a handful of us, my brother was there as well. We decided we're going to lodge an offer for $5.6 million for this block of land. We felt like we could, take, we could get it for that. Cut a long story short, we had lodged the, the, uh, the offer with all of these conditions. All of the, the planning approvals needed to be in place, finance needed to be in place, tick, tick, tick. There was stuff environmentally that needed to be ticked off. The whole list of conditions, subject to all of these conditions. In 2019, November, we lodged that offer. In December, it was accepted, subject to the conditions. Across all the month of December and January, every single one of those conditions were met in Jesus' name. Come February, come February, we signed... We signed a construction contract with Alita Constructions in February 2020. And in March 2020, what happened? We became the only church in Australia to have built from the ground up in a pandemic because by some, by some strange reason, we had a premier that kept us locked in more than locked down. 
construction kept going, we were able to build this building. And you're sitting in a miracle. You're sitting in a miracle. Unless we will never steward what's in our hand unless we have a full appreciation for how it first got there. Do you understand that? And we can choose today to be the Hezekiah generation to say, now we've done our bit. We've got us here. The next generation can fend for themselves. No, no. There is so much more to be done in Jesus' name. Come on, are you out there? Through those pandemic years, while we were building, our church grew significantly. God brought the right amount of people during that building project. Some of you have never met Simon Wee, but man, I want to shout out to Simon Wee and his family. Through those years, helped us to, and so many great people. It was in those pandemic years that we expanded. We planted Scarborough. We got Bunbury up and running. We got Wangara going. Come on, are you out there? I'm cognizant of how many of you have been giving so faithfully. For some of you, maybe 10, 12, 19 years of building a future. Some of you are here. I look at Lynn and Joseph been giving for 19 years to, to building a future. So grateful for so many of you that, that, that have done that. I, I'm just trying to awaken in you the responsibility we have because of the future that we share. And so our Myri building our future goals for the next 12 months, I'm going to say it. We want to clear the remaining debt. I don't want this to be, I don't want to hand out the next generation debt. I want to clear it for them. Also, this is what we want to do. We want to raise funds for capital expenditure to extend usable floor space for the next gen area, which is Nations Kids, Junior High, Heroes Academy. What's happened is that we've built an auditorium that can seat at capacity 800 people. But because of cost restrictions at the time, we built what we could afford, and it's become apparent to us that the next gen wing, which is the other side of the building, is too small. Our children are crammed in there because apparently the Maori campus has taken the mandate to go forth and multiply, <laughs> literally. I'm really, you guys are awesome, which is great. You've got lots of kids, brilliant. But our kids are crammed in there, particularly sprouts and rockets, like it's a sardine can. Now, we don't want our children to be crammed in like sardines. We want them to be free-range salmon <laughs> swimming in an aquaculture pond. You know what I'm talking about? We want to have room, flourishing, right? So, so, so we want to be able to extend some usable space. What we want to do as well is we want to acquire some par new parking options for us. How many of you would like some parking options? Fantastic. That's what we want to do, and we want to be able to do that in, in the years ahead. So that, that's some of our goals. You also need to understand that our goals are not going to go away. These are going to be here. We, 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 we're only ever going to not have enough space for our next gen. Come on. Are you out there? We're only ever going to have more and more people. At the moment, our growth is capped because even though we can fit more people in the auditoriums, People are going to stay away because it's going to take too long for the kids to check in. They're going to be too crammed. It's not enough usable space, particularly in the morning services where our kids' ministry is incredibly popular. So our giving today to building our future will determine the pace with which these goals are met. We get to decide today how quickly this happens. Our next generation are vital to the health of our church. I'm under no illusion. Every time our church finishes a lot of Sundays, I'll go to the next gen wing and say hello to our team there. And it's always, I'm sobered by the reality that we're raising tomorrow's apostles and prophets and teachers and, and pastors. Come on, are you out there? And evangelists are in that. Tomorrow's board members and, and, and staff members. Tomorrow's you know, network leaders and youth leaders and kids leaders are there. And NYA leaders and hospitality leaders and creative leaders. Our next worship leaders. They're all in those rooms back there. It's incumbent upon us not to be Hezekiah, but to be David. We can't get complacent with our giving today. So I'm not asking you to give to us. I'm asking you to give with us. 
I'm asking you to give with us. If you think about the future, you need to understand that none of us live forever. There's going to be a time where all of us that is in this room, in big church, will no longer be here, but the next generation will be. And my prayer for them is that they will say in 19 years from now the same things we're saying about the people that started this church and gave on that first building our future. There is great significance in today. Do you believe that? Can we give God a big shout of praise? Thanks for listening to the Nations Church Podcast. For more info, please visit nationschurch.com. Thank you.